two, one, zero. Hi, everybody. Welcome. Thanks so much for joining us today. Um, we have another amazing chat here for you with Power to Fly. Um, my name is Meg Alexander. I'm part of Power to Fly's virtual hosting team, and I am super excited to be here with you today. Now, as we get started, I just want to go over a couple quick housekeeping items to, um, just to make sure that this, um, this event, like all of our virtual events, is the best possible experience for y'all. So to that end, I just want to highlight that all of our events are about you. They're about our, our audience, and we want to make sure that the time that you spend with Powerfly is well worth it. So we really encourage you to participate, and you can do that in, in a couple different ways. Um, one of our, you know, one of my favorite ways is to um, come off mute and ask a question or add a comment, or if we're going over your question, you can add context. Um, coming off mute is the absolute best way to ensure that you are heard, that we get to answer your question. Now, um, if you have any kind of, you know, if you do come up off mute for any reason during the, um, the recording today, you will show up on both the live stream and the recording. So um, you can still participate, even if you have any kind of security concerns or whatever, not a problem. You can still participate um, via the group chat, or you can DM me and I will raise your question or comment and keep you anonymous. It's whatever you would like to do. Um, like I said, this session is being recorded. So everyone that registered is going to get an email in about one to two business days that'll have a link to this recording where you can rewatch it on our website. Now that doesn't matter. Um, that Everybody will get that no matter if you, um, you know, stay for five minutes, you stay for the full 60, you join and come back, um, or if you registered but couldn't make it today, everybody's going to get that link to rewatch. Now, if Alyssa says something today that's just amazingly mind-blowing and you cannot wait to share it with a friend or a relative or a coworker, don't worry, you don't have to wait the one to two business days. You can always head over to our YouTube channel. We have two of them. One's our main, and then we have a chat and learn uh, dedicated channel as well. So you can head over to that chat and learn channel and um, catch this recording usually within about five to 15 minutes at the end of the live stream today. Now, um, like I said, if you, uh, if you check out that either of those two channels, um, I highly recommend that you subscribe to our YouTube channels. It is a great way to make sure that you don't miss out on events like this. Um, you can also keep up with us on our other social media. We are at Power to Fly on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, and YouTube. Um, we highly encourage you to take video or photos as we go. You can share them with your community. Um, as always, feel free to tag us or use our hashtag, hashtag power to fly, all one word, obviously. Um, and, you know, just share the wealth, share the resources, let people know that you are learning with power to fly today. Um, so hopefully we can help more and more people and really grow our community um, and, and grow these, um, you know, amazing individuals we would like to, uh, you know, like to serve and like to support. So. Um, like I said, that's the, the setup for our housekeeping. Um, we'll go over a couple other things later. Um, one thing that I want to touch on before we move into uh, introducing you to our speaker is the fact that JW Player, um, who Eliza is here on behalf of today, is hiring. So I'm going to send you a link um, to JW Player's Powerfly company page. Now, if you go to this company page, I'm um, putting it in the Zoom chat right now. That company page is where you're going to go to see, um, you know, learn more info about JW Player. Um, if you click on events, that'll show you um, both past events they've participated in and those recordings, but it'll also show you future events they're going to join us on, um, like today's chat and learn or our virtual job fairs or our mega summits. Um, so definitely check that out as well. 
And then if you click on open jobs, that'll take you to their current job listing. Now I'm on the live page right now. It says they have 26 roles posted with us. Um, and once you're in there and you check out those roles, if they're, you know, if JW player looks interesting to you, but there's maybe not really a job like that is perfect for you right now, or maybe you're not actively job searching, but you are interested in JW player and you want them to stay on your radar. At the top of this page, as you see it now, there's gonna be um, a pink follow button. It's gonna be in the upper right-hand corner. If you click that button, it's gonna put you on JW's follow network. Now that does a couple different things for you, but basically what it does is it acts like your friend at the company. It keeps you on JW Player's radar, regardless of whether you filled out an application or not, it's gonna tell them that you are interested in working with them. And it's also gonna let you know when they post new roles. So it's a really great way to make sure that you stay on their radar and they stay on your radar. You can follow and unfollow as many companies as you like on PowerToFly.com. You can um, follow and unfollow at will. So back and forth, you know, depending on whether your job search is active or not. Um, but it's a really great tool to take advantage of um, to aid you in either your job search or just kind of, you know, keeping your hand in, see what's out there. Um, so definitely check that out. And obviously I recommend that you follow JW Player. So, I'm really excited to introduce you to our speaker today. Um, Alyssa Cabasso is the Senior Director of Account Management at JW Player, which is a video technology company. She works with a team of account managers overseeing revenue for JW Player's customers across the Americas. Uh, Alyssa is passionate about building diversity, equity, and inclusion in tech, and is on the core team of JW Player's DEI committee. Alyssa earned her MBA from NYU Stern and her bachelor's degree from the University of Rochester. So welcome, Alyssa. We're so happy to have you today. Yeah, thank you. I'm really excited to be here. Thanks. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add to your bio or let people know about you um, in terms of, you know, why you're so excited to talk about this subject or anything like that? Yeah, I mean, I think this is a topic that maybe five years ago just wasn't on my radar too much. Um, I came from an organization uh, before JW Player where I was not one of the only women on the team. Uh, I think the team was maybe half women and I was um, really displeased to see that uh, a lot of men were being promoted over women on the team. Um, and I, I just like got the feeling that I was not being valued in the way that I wanted to be. And, um, you know, I'm a really driven career oriented person and thought like, this is just like not the right environment for me. And when I started at JW Player, um, I had really like completely the opposite experience. Um, and that doesn't mean it's always perfect, but um, I've been surrounded by people who are really like incredibly um, caring and conscientious. And I've learned a lot both about working in tech and about DEI. Um, and it's been a great experience. And I have grown, um, I think a lot in the way that I think uh, about and consider the people around me. Um, and I realized this is something that's that's really important as I was given a lot of opportunity. I really wanna help other people um, get those opportunities too. That's lovely. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Um, okay, so before we dive into the questions, I just wanna highlight real quick um, some of the principal themes that we're gonna try and touch on in today's conversation. Now, um, you'll see them up on the screen right now. We um, we we distilled these down both from conversations with Alyssa prior to today's session, as well as by looking at the questions that y'all submitted prior to today's session when you guys registered. So we're gonna try and cover these, but I wanna stress that if you took time out of your day to be here with us live, we wanna make sure that you get prime treatment, that you get to ask your questions and get your answers. 
So if you have a question um, that, that you, know, you don't know if we're gonna touch on or you don't know if we picked it, um, like we've, you know, we've kind of collected all those questions that were submitted and we arranged them into a conversational format, but we might not get to all of them. So if you wanna be sure that your question is answered, please feel free to raise the question. Um, you can come off mute, like we've said, you can type your question into the Zoom chat or you can DM me um, and I'll raise those questions or comments and keep you anonymous. Now, if we go over one of your questions and maybe we're kind of approaching it from the wrong direction or you have more context that you'd like to add to it, please feel free to do that. Um, we really want this to be a conversation that y'all feel um, you know, like you can drive today's conversation and the subjects we discuss. Now, what we're gonna try and go over um, are some of the ideas about what it means to really be a supportive ally. We are gonna try and touch on some of the best practices for how you can be that good ally in the workplace. And we're also gonna look at how, ways you can recognize your biases and work to overcome them. I think one of the things we've all kind of learned especially um, strongly over the last year is that we all have inherent biases. Whether you want them or not, they, they're there. So looking at how to recognize them can be um, both kind of, it feels threatening, but it's definitely a way to, to bigger growth. So, um, all right, Alyssa, as we jump in here, let me stop sharing. So as we jump in here with some of the questions that were pre-submitted, um, this person had wanted to know, can you share what an ally's main role should be? Yeah, I think that's an interesting question because it's extremely subjective. Um, to me, being an ally means promoting and building up the people around you, trying to consider um, you know, their backgrounds, their points of view, why, you know, why it's important to understand that, um, taking the time to really like listen to the people around you, examine your own biases and being open to change your mindset. Um, but I think to everyone, it means something slightly different. Um, I think ultimately it's really about though, understanding the people around you and trying your best to listen and learn. Yeah, I think you're right. It's very subjective and it's very situational, right? I mean, you're, you're, um, if you are trying to be an ally, but there are not, uh, you know, if, you're, if your team is not diverse and does not include those people that really need to be in the room, um, you know, part of your allyship might be to, you know, keep the subject top of mind for people to keep, you know, driving that inclusion aspect. But if you've got, you know, a team that is, maybe uh, you know, not from the dominant group at your organization and is really underserved, then maybe more of your, of your you know, position is gonna be to help uplift the people that are there and make sure that they are getting you know, equal treatment along with everybody else in the group. Um, right. Yeah, I love that. So can we kind of, um, can we talk a little bit about how that idea of good allyship really differs from performative allyship, which whether intentional or unintentional can, you know, can look very different, right? Yeah, it's something I've been thinking a lot about because I think we've all encountered performative allies who sort of like talk the talk, but don't walk the walk. Um, and I, I think I'm gonna say like perhaps a little controversially that like sometimes that's a step in the right direction um, and is like perhaps a way that people who don't truly understand, um, maybe because they're not trying, but maybe because they just like don't have the experience um, of being like in, in any minority group in a room um, or like being you know different or underserved. 
um, maybe they've never had that experience. So like they are like hearing other people around them talk about allyship or talking about DEI and just like, don't like really fully internalize what that means. Um, so this part I think is perhaps a little controversial, but I think it's important to sort of like be understanding about why maybe reactionary performative allyship is like not great, but okay. And I think as we're all sort of like learning how to be better allies to different groups of people, right? Like this doesn't just mean, um, this doesn't just mean like being an ally to one specific type of person or to one specific group. Um, you know, you can be understanding of the people around you and the fact that it might take a little bit of time for them to fully internalize what that means. Um, and you can still like be a friend and be a great colleague and continue to teach the people around you by just like doing a great job and being a good person. Yeah, I would absolutely agree with that. And you make a really good point, which is, um, I, I, I agree with you. It can be kind of uh, controversial, but if you start, you know, if you've got somebody who is seemingly being more of a performative ally than a, an effective one, um, that does kind of give you an inroad, right? You know, this is somebody, if you, if you lead with the most, um, you know, the most positive assumption, which is they're trying their best, they just don't see where they're not, you know, where they could be doing better that, you know, allows you to kind of have a way in to say, hey, I can see that you're trying um, and you're making great steps, but it would be more helpful if you were doing X, Y, and Z. And I think one of the important things to know is that, yes, it's, it's very important to listen to the groups that you're trying to, to uplift, right? You know, if you've got specific people on your team or specific um, groups within your organization that you are trying to help, um, you know, it's really great. It's a great place to start, but if they're not doing anything really, you know, really useful as an ally outside that group, that's, you know, if, if you are also outside that group that you are both trying to uplift, it's important to not only try and bolster that allyship and make it less performative, but also listen to the people around you. Listen to see if, if, you know, they are happy with the, you know, the, the support that they're getting from this person. Is it really performative or is it that just your interpretation of it? Right, I think that's also sometimes, unfortunately, how change happens. It's slow and people take time to change and to learn and to grow. So really like a cultural, if a cultural shift is happening and it, it isn't always like, you know, sometimes the people around you are just not open to that. And like, maybe ultimately that's not a company that I wanna be part of, um, but, understanding that it takes people time to really internalize change. I think like sometimes you, sometimes you say things or some things that um, maybe like aren't the way that you wanna act, like those things come up every once in a while. And as those things become less and less acceptable because people around you are calling you out, I think that's how, how performative allies become real allies because they're learning from a changing environment around them. Or maybe not. And, you know, again, maybe that's just like not an environment that you want to be part of. Fair. And you're right. At, you know, every, it's like uh, one of our teammates here says every drop makes a puddle. And it is, you're right. These, these kinds of change are, they are slow. They take time. There's going to be back steps. There's going to be plateauing. Um, so yeah, I think you're right. Kind of keeping that, trying to maintain that forward momentum any time, any way you can is, is absolutely crucial. Um, okay, so let, you started talking a little bit about, um, you know, people that are trying to learn and trying to keep moving forward in these changes. 
do you think that emotional intelligence and diversity training should be mandatory in the workplace? Um, especially since, you know, some, like you said, you know, some, some companies are walking the walk and others aren't really, it's more lip service. What's your opinion on this? Yeah. I mean, this is nothing but an opinion. I think in a perfect world, that would absolutely be the case. Um, I think this must've been probably three or four years ago now. Um, JW player did, uh, did a training that really opened my eyes to the way that microaggressions are perceived and how, um, like maybe I wasn't always the best actor. And it was really interesting as someone who's always considered myself an ally to stop and think, hey, like maybe I should really think about how what I'm saying is perceived. Um, and I, I think like the results of that within the company were also like pretty staggering. I think a lot of people felt the same way that I did. Um, so I don't think it's really possible to enforce that, unfortunately. And obviously also like those types of trainings um, take a lot of resources that not everyone has access to. Um, however, I do think that, um, I think that would be great for, you know, everyone in a workforce to just like be more conscious of the people around you. Um, and I think if a company is really committed to building a culture with diversity, equity, and inclusion, it, it is um, perhaps an important part of building that culture. I think you're right. I think it's one of those things that as long as you make it readily available and potentially incentivize it a bit, mm -hmm. um, depending on, you know, maybe the culture that you already have established, even people that um, don't really see the importance of it um, could potentially be affected by it in a positive way. Um, you know, when I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking about a place that I worked previously. And one of the things they did was um, if you attended the, the trainings that they had, it took a half a day, but then you got the rest of the day off, like paid and a half day off. Mm -hmm. So even people that really didn't care and demonstrably did not care about this still went to the trainings. Now, were they, you know, participatory? Did they all of a sudden decide, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not going, I'm going to be welcoming instead of being kind of gruff with people. Maybe not, but you know, you keep going to a barbershop and you're eventually going to get a haircut. So if you can keep exposing people and make those, um, make those, those education sources readily available, um, then yeah, I think you're right. You are going to try and be moving towards um, what you want to see in your group and in your company culture. Right. Because every drop makes a puddle. Exactly. Um, okay. So we talked a little bit about listening to the groups that need to be better served. And one of the challenges of, of diversity and inclusion is listening and understanding many points of view in the workplace, especially when it comes to things like intersectionality or even just vastly different points of view. Mm -hmm. So how can leaders really help their teams express themselves in, the, in a way that is safe for everyone involved um, while respecting people's you know, kind of rights to their own opinions? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really hard thing to do. Um, I, I can speak from my own experience. I manage a team um, spanning two countries um, and nine people. Um, and I think that doesn't even begin to scratch the surface. Um, but it's important to understand that people have different personalities, different needs, um, and communicate in different ways. Um, I took away once from a leadership training, um, an internal one actually led by our HR team, that 
not everyone is comfortable speaking up in a group. Um, I happen to work on a sales team, so I think most people are pretty comfortable speaking up in a group. Um, although I don't think that's always the case, but um, that is one of the reasons why um, when I have a, a meeting and I know that someone on my team or people on my team might be a little more introverted, I might also ask them in a private one-on-one -on -one forum um, what they think about something that we discussed in a larger meeting um, to make sure that um, for whatever reason, if it's because they're not comfortable sharing in public because that's their personality or because of the subject matter, that everyone has a chance to speak up. Um, I think also it's important to understand um, that not everything might be comfortable to talk about, but I try to also really foster an environment where people are respectful of each other's opinions. So if someone says something I don't agree with, um, like that's all right. Uh, you know, we can respect each other without um, ag agreeing on everything. And I think I'd like to hope that everyone on my team feels comfortable, whether they agree with me or don't agree with me. And I hope that's also the case as we talk in a group and they talk to each other. Sorry, I clicked the wrong button and it hit all of my video. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I completely agree. And you're right. It kind of comes down to you know, both, uh, uh, you know, having that respect for people's opinions, but also establishing that base level of respect that everyone is expected to bring to the table. Um, you know, you might disagree with what someone else is thinking and as abhorrent as you might find some of their views, or even if it's just annoying, you know, like they love techno and you're just like, that's not music. Um, you know, even something as kind of silly as that, having that respect for everybody, you know, regardless of where they're coming from, does give you a much steadier and much stronger jumping off point um, to really uh, start that, you know, start asking those questions. And you're right, it's very important to take into, into account that whether it's someone's personality or just their feeling of safety and they don't feel comfortable and don't feel safe, you know, talking about these things in front of a group, um, it's very important to give, you know, give multiple opportunities and multiple um, methods to keep those communication, to keep that communication open. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so one of the ways, like, I feel like a lot of, a lot of the ways people are now thinking about allyship is in regards to, um, you know, people from the BIPOC community, AAPI, LGBTQ was one of the largest, or I would say for most people, like the most prevalent way you heard about allyship at first. Um, but it's also important to understand that these, you know, allyship doesn't just um, it doesn't just mean to visible diversity. It's also something that you need to keep in, in mind for, um, you know, people that are coming from all walks of life, different neurodiversities, physical abilities or disabilities. It's, you know, it's really important, right? So one of the questions we had was about um, allyship for women in the workforce. Um, this person wanted to know about how they could be an ally to help keep career momentum for women who have had to leave work either for caregiving or other duties and are now trying to opt for work from home options. So we see this more and more, especially in regards to the pandemic, right? People, you know, it's opening up a lot more work from home possibilities, but, you know, not everybody sees how this can be really, in, how, how, how flexibility with remote options can help people and help, you know, caregivers especially not fall into that, you know, that wasteland and lose that career momentum. So how would you, you know, how would you approach this question? Yeah, that's such a good question because it's been so fresh on my mind. Um, I uh, actually just had a baby six months ago. Um, and 
I have long been a proponent of um, having every single person on my team in the office every single day. Um, and that is one of the ways that I've really um, changed my views and also like really uh, had to challenge the way I was thinking because I think, and, and I, um, full disclosure, no one on my team had kids at that time. Um, and then when I had a, a baby, I realized like, it's just not, it's not as easy as I thought. Um, so one of the things that's been fresh on my mind, uh, because I just recently had a baby and, and someone else on my team is expecting as well, is how can I be more flexible in the way that I expect my team to do their jobs, not only in terms of coming to the office, but in terms of the hours that we work. So um, I think a great example of that is um, I'm lucky enough to have a nanny. My husband works out of the house and I also work long hours um, and she was running late this morning, just like got stuck in traffic. Um, so my husband and I had to like sort of tag team that like before he went to work, we were both getting ready. I had a call at nine um, and she came at 930. So like, you know, if someone on my team came to me with that limitation, like, you know, I've always been relatively flexible, but I realize now like how inflexible sometimes your life is when you have a child. Um, I think working from home also comes with a lot of additional benefits for people. Um, so one of the things you just mentioned, Meg, is people with like physical limitations, um, people who need to live in a certain part of the country or the world because of a need with their family. I think working remotely opens up a lot of doors to hire people that you wouldn't normally be able to hire. Um, and I'm, I'm excited about that. Um, you know, when I started managing people, it was like four people that like lived in New York and had a very similar lifestyle as me. And now it's a lot of people who are not in New York and who have kids and um, who have like other types of family needs and who have more flexible schedules. And I'm, I'm really excited to be able to offer that um, because having that more diverse group um, I think has really benefited the team. Um, and I am also just like very happy that I could support my team in that way. Yeah, I think that's really, that's a very good point. You know, I, um, the idea that it's not as easy as you thought it was, it's, um, it's one of those things where if you're not part of that group or if you have not experienced caregiving before, especially with small children, I don't know that, especially myself, I'm, I'm child-free and I, I know enough to know that I don't know what my teammates need. So I try and be as, not, not just as like cognizant as possible, but I try and be like proactive about it saying like, okay, what do you need today? What's going on? Do you, you know, is there a situation? And I also try and make it very clear that if you've got, you know, caregiving issues or family stuff going on that you, you know, it's, it comes up last minute, you're doing your best, you're trying to roll with the punches, um, you know, making sure that I am giving the space for people to tell me what they need and then continuously asking. So if they forget, um, or just, you know, you don't have your head on straight because you've been awake for three days or whatever, um, you know, kind of trying to make it as, as easy a place for people to, um, to share what they need, especially when I don't have any personal idea of what those issues might be that they're facing. Yeah, I think uh, one, of yeah. The, um, one of the things I found also, and I, you know, I mentioned I, I manage a, an account management team, but we also um, have long had a, like a quota of numbers to hit. So it is um, oftentimes teams like this are extremely competitive and one of the things that's really important to me is also fostering an environment that's incredibly supportive person to person. So um, I'm not always able to cover people when they're, for instance, out of the office or when something comes up. Um, and I try my best to do that. But 
Um, people also help each other out a lot. Um, everyone on the team takes on different types of responsibilities. I cannot be everywhere at once. Um, and that's also really helpful, I think, as these things come up, um, because everyone is like kind to each other and wants to help each other succeed. And that is something that as a manager, you are able to do, um, or even as a teammate that you're able to do, fostering an environment that allows people to be honest about when they need help. And then to have a, a team of people who can step in and help you is a big deal. Um, I think makes people who maybe have other obligations and everyone does at some point, um, it makes those people more comfortable and stepping up and saying when they need help. Yes, for sure. Um, we've got a lot of people, uh, Amanda's chiming in in the chat as well. So that's really great. Um, saying that it sounds like you experienced a great opportunity um, to be able to understand the varying needs of your team, especially once it was part of your own existence um, and your own experience. And actually, that's something that I feel like a lot of people go through. I mean, our own um, co-founder, Catherine Zaleski, uh, wrote an open letter to um, to working parents once she became a working parent and realized like how tough and kind of unfair, really unfair she'd been to other teammates, um, even within the thought that like, oh no, I'm making it possible. It's fine. You know, everybody has challenges and I'm helping and blah, blah. blah. And then you realize like, no, no, I wasn't helping. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's hard to know until you're experiencing it, but being open to just like listening to people as they're going through it. And it's not just working parents. It's like, you know, people who are caregivers for many reasons, um, people who have ill family members. Like I think, uh, I think we could all really um, do well to really like take some time to understand other people's experiences. Absolutely. Um, okay, so let's talk about, we're still kind of functioning within the remote workplace environment. And this person had wanted to know if you have any tips for um, how to approach someone who is experiencing microaggressions. Um, there's specific ask uh, or there's specific uh, details say it's tough to resolve problems when communication su shuts down and that falls so feels so much easier to fall into when you have a remote team. So how would you address this? Yeah, I mean, I think it's very hard to do with someone who's really not open to that conversation. Um, and I think there's sort of a strategic way to do it, that if you think someone is any kind of ally, even if it's a performative ally, how can you approach that person in a way that's not accusatory, but to use feeling statements to say, when you said this, it made me feel this way. I don't, like, I don't think you meant it that way, or you know, maybe they did. Um, but I think oftentimes with microaggressions, like it's not, it's not purposeful. Um, and even if it's something that is like really maddening, um, you get more out of using feeling statements than accusatory statements um, because people don't get defensive as easily. Um, I think though some people are just not really open to that feedback. Um, if enough people on my team or at my company were not open to that feedback, again, like, unfortunately, I don't know if that's a place I would want to work. Um, but I think there's also something you can do, um, which is a longer term solution that's kind of leading by example. Um, so if you have many allies around you, um, that kind of behavior becomes almost like embarrassing and unacceptable. Um, and you can sort of teach by example. And I, I think that's a really hard burden to carry, um, especially if it's something that you experience a lot. Um, and it really takes like a lot of long-term commitment to sort of like be the better person. Um, and I certainly would understand why some people wouldn't want to do that. For me, um, at JW Player, like I never experienced any legitimate discrimination. I, I in fact left my last job 
um, because I felt that my career progression had just like fully stalled because I'm a woman. Um, but I never really experienced it that overtly at JW player. But when I started, I was the only woman on the team. Um, I was spoken over in meetings constantly. And I felt like I was questioned a lot more than the people around me. And it wasn't even like, I think intentional. It was just like the guys around me, like, you know, not realizing it, but you know, still doing these like small things here and there that made me feel very self-conscious. Um, and like, I was not trusted in the same way as the men on the team. Um, and I worked really hard to gain the trust of the people around me. And finally, when I was like very consistently hitting my numbers, I took my boss aside and said, Hey, look, I don't think you realize you're doing this, but this is the impression that I'm getting. And he was so incredibly receptive to it, recognized that, um, it was probably a problem that there were no other women on the team. Um, and, you know, as time went on, like I started managing the team and my counterpart in Europe and Asia is also a woman. Um, so things have changed really significantly. I was afforded that opportunity because I had great people around me, but also because I sort of like pushed quietly for this change for like two years. Um, and I don't think, I mean, I think again, that isn't a perhaps sometimes unfair burden that we have to carry, um, but it feels good. Um, it, it feels good to have been able to affect that type of change within an organization that I really like and care about. Um, again, though, ultimately, if like enough people around me were not open to that, I don't think I would stay at that organization. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. And I love, I love you, what you're talking about um, with using those feeling statements, because it kind of um, try it tries to take some of the, um, the confrontational pressure off of the person you want to talk to. Um, my mom calls it uh, painting someone into the nice corner where you say something like, you know, it made me feel like this. And I'm sure you didn't mean that. I'm sure you didn't mean to make me feel uncomfortable, but could you explain more about what you meant by that? Or I'm sure you didn't mean to exclude so-and-so from the meeting or talk over her. She's not done yet. So give her a second. Um, you know, it's a really, it's really important to um, both speak up when something's happening and, you know, to the best of your ability, but also um, do it in a way that is more likely to get you what you want and more likely to have the desired effect, um, you know, of, of like Amanda's saying, that kind of good peer pressure. So I like that idea. Um, okay, so I just want to highlight here, we do have a little less than 30 minutes left in today's session. Um, so if you have a question that you would like to raise to Alyssa or you would like to put it in the chat or come off mute and ask, please feel free. I'm more than happy to hold um, some space here in case anybody has a question that they would like to come off mute to ask. Um, we're going to go into a question in just a moment about um, how about intersectionality when it comes to this allyship. So before we do that, I'll hold a second here to see if anybody wants to come off mute or put a question into the comment space. And please remember, you are very welcome to do this um, at any time from now through the end of today's session. I want to just say while we're waiting potentially for a question that I love the term good peer pressure. <laughs> I think that is like an incredibly effective tool. Um, and especially like in thinking about diversity, equity, and inclusion, like it should be embarrassing for someone to say something that's not appropriate or not inclusive. And that type of good peer pressure um, like should weed out those bad actors. Yeah, yeah you inspired it. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Um, you know, so my husband t does a, a similar thing a lot as a, you know, cisgender, hetero, white male. 
um, he has a lot of privilege and a lot of, you know, resources and a lot of standing within his company and a lot of respect that's sort of, some of it is obviously deserved and earned, but a lot of it is base level for him. And so, you know, hearing, you know, a joke from somebody in his, you know, in his department or something, usually without fail leads him to say, why do you think you could say that to me? Did you think that was okay? Like what, what makes you think I, I'm in on that joke or what makes you think that I would think that's funny? Um, and you can do it in a way that's a little less you know, confrontational, but if you are asking like, is there a reason that you thought that was a good joke for work? I'm, I'm just curious, can really lead to, you know, kind of open up those doors or at minimum establish yourself as someone that's not putting up with that. You're not a safe harbor for bigotry or discrimination or idiocy. And knowing that makes you a safe person for the people that need that help. Um, so establishing that is, you know, can be really helpful within your comfort zone, obviously. Um, okay, so this person uh, kind of comes from the same, um, or, sorry, this person wants to talk a little bit about intersectionality, right? Um, they say, as a member of several underrepresented demographics, how do we know whether someone is truly an ally? I have a hard time identifying dishonest allyships, and I want to be sure that I'm truly being supported before I share my vulnerabilities. So in this instance, I was picturing somebody who maybe is, you know, like a working parent and also neuro neurodiverse and also, you know, maybe part of like the AAPI community. So you might be getting your needs met from a certain aspect, um, and you think that you've found allies only to find that you're willing to support them and all of their intersectionalities, but they're not really willing to be the same for you. So how, how would you approach this question or how, have you had to deal with this in your, um, you know, in your career? Yeah, I mean, I think it's impossible. It's just like having a work friend and not knowing whether like you're in competition or whether like they're actually your friend versus just like a work friend. You know, I, I would like to be able to like share like a magic bullet and I just don't think it exists. Um, I think this is very much related to people who talk the talk but don't walk the walk and you can really like try to pay attention to how someone reacts in a room with a bad actor, for example. So if someone makes an inappropriate joke or commits a microaggression, like how did the people around you react to that? I think that's like a, a really good tell. But beyond that, I just don't think there's a way to truly know someone's intentions. Um, and that's just like sort of unfortunately part of interacting with people and, and feeling out people around you in, in any social situation. Um, I think as a rule of thumb, like I like to talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion, but I, I probably like wouldn't share my own vulnerabilities with someone off the bat for many reasons, including that one. Um, at the same time, I think it's really important to establish allies at work um, so that, you know, we all have like a more uh, comfortable and productive workplace. So it's really about like finding the balance with what you share and, and watching people's actions around you. But um, again, like, I just, I don't think there's a, a perfect answer to that question. I agree. I thought this was a really interesting question, but also a really difficult one to talk about because it's so subjective. Um, I, in the past, when I've had situations like this, like people that were maybe, um, you know, very feminist, but also were not really, very, not really very educated or forward thinking when it came to, you know, racial or ethnic um, di diversity or differences between people. Um, 
I, I mean, granted, I'm not from a, uh, you know, an underrepresented demographic in a, uh, an ethnic or racial sense, but in the past, I've had good experiences by saying like, hey, you know, you've really been supportive to me in, you know, these kinds of ways, or you really tried to help bolster my voice in meetings when we know that like women statistically are talked over a very, you know, much more heavily than men. Um, but I've also found a, a good inroad to say like, I know you've supported me in these ways before. I don't feel like I'm getting that same support from you in these, you know, in, in this situation or in that situation. Um, and it might be that they don't know that you want the support. It might be that they don't even see that they're not giving it. Um, but it kind of gives you that, that inroad and also allows you to, to call out something without necessarily having to share your vulnerabilities up front. Because um, you're right, that can be a really, especially with work friends or work buddies, it can be a really difficult um, thing to gauge. You know, you just don't know until you know. Yeah. Um, okay, so we have another person who wanted to talk a little bit about those DEI initiatives, especially when you are part of the dominant group. So this person says that they lead a small, mostly male, mostly white business, and they feel uncertain as how to incorporate DEI initiatives. They are a female employee, and while they think the company culture is very open and welcoming, they don't know what it feels like to be queer or a person of color or from a different culture in the context of this business uh, you know, microcosm. This person says they want to set up their business to attract and retain a diverse set of employees who all feel welcome, but how can they begin doing that? Yeah, I mean, that is a question that I identify with. Um, I am a woman. I'm also a white woman um, that like has a very specific educational background that has pretty easily set me up for some kinds of jobs. And I, I mean, it's something that I've been very aware of, especially in more recent years. Um, I think there are a few things you can do. Number one um, is very simple. When you think about hiring, it's very, very common that um, you look at yourself or the people around you that have been successful within your organization, um, both in terms of like background and the qualities that make them successful. It's really easy to just hire the exact same phenotype of a person over and over. Um, so one suggestion I have is trying to think about why people are successful and, and if having other types of people in the room would also help foster success within your business. Um, and I think that's important for the sake of diversity in general, but like taking diversity for the sake of diversity out of it, just having different ideas in the room is a really productive way to run a business. I don't hire people who are good at exactly what I'm good at. I hire people that are good at all the things that I'm bad at um, so that I have other people in the room who can make up for whatever my deficiencies are. Um, I think um, another thing that you can think about is would someone who is an underrepresented group feel comfortable interviewing here? Um, one of the things that we did when we had an office before we went remote, and this was really unfortunate because we made this change and then gave up our office. Um, but we um, we turned one of the restrooms into a gender neutral restroom um, and no one at the company requested it. Um, and to my knowledge, there were no trans people and that doesn't mean that they didn't exist. Um, but the aim was that if a trans person decided to interview and felt uncomfortable if we didn't have a gender neutral bathroom, we wanted to give them the opportunity to know that number one, they were supported without actually having to explicitly say you're supported. Um, and number two, that they wouldn't have to worry about what they would do if they came to work and needed to use the bathroom. Um, 
I, uh, I hate to bring this up. I watch like a, a lot of TV, like perhaps more than one should for someone who like works a lot and um, has a baby. Um, but I saw a commercial the other day and I don't even remember what it was for. Um, but this question reminded me of that, that um, there's a trans woman interviewing for a job and like getting dressed and not sure what to wear. And then, then they show up for the job interview and the interviewer, the first question that the interviewer asks is, what pronoun should I use to identify you? Um, and those are the types of thoughtful things that without having a long conversation about like how you identify, which is like probably not appropriate for a job interview, that you can like drop those little hints to say, I'm comfortable with whoever you are. You don't have to worry about being in this work environment because we're an open and accepting culture. I think dropping those hints and being open to different kinds of people is the best way to foster diversity, equity, and inclusion at work, especially if you are a business owner or a hiring manager. I absolutely love that. Um, I think it's it's one of the things that we highlight for companies a lot, which is the idea that if you build it, they will come. Um, you can't wait until you have you know somebody who is whose needs or whose support is not there. You can't wait until they're at your company and then say, oh well, what can we do to support you? You know that's not going to create a, a situation or a, a culture that people feel, um, you know, feel that they belong. Because if they're going to go in and not only be the only, but somehow be kind of the token person, you know, that's not a comfortable place to be for anybody. So I think I love that. And I saw that same ad, I think it was for LinkedIn. Um, and I thought it was absolutely wonderful because that's a question like what pronouns do you prefer? I get asked that. I ask it of other people. I ask it even when I have no reason to, to believe that they might not use the pronouns that I would assume given their, their physical presentation in front of me because it's just a more welcoming thing. I don't mind telling people that I use she or her pronouns because if, if we make that more of a, you know, a real thing, it's the same as people asking like, do you prefer to be called Mike or Michael? It's that simple. It's really you know, not, not something that really should stress or strain um, or cause problems when it comes to the interview process or it comes to you know, the, the onboarding process for new employees or established employees. Yeah, I actually think you can take it even a step further. And um, like we, for instance, added pronouns to Slack. Um, and I am very involved in, in our DEI committee, but not everyone I work with is. Um, and as we did that, I asked some of the people that I knew to be allies on, in the sales organization to add their pronouns in Slack so that people would feel more comfortable doing so. Um, and I think like using that sort of like power and influence and using the allies around you to try to normalize cultural changes is really important. Yeah, I mean, I like to present it to people, especially people that are kind of hesitant or don't really understand why this is a problem. Um, I like to present it to them in the, the way of saying, well, you know, it used to be that when women were, you know, mentioned like interviewed for newspapers or, um, you know, trying to uh, correspond with people or whatever, they, you referred to someone by their husband's name. So it was, I'd be like, Mrs. Aaron Alexander. Well, we don't do that anymore. Women have their own names. So it doesn't matter who their partner is. If it doesn't, you know, if it's not like important information, in the context of the story, you don't need to call that person, you know, by their partner's name. So we don't do that anymore. Well, it's kind of similar. We're not going to assume that we know what people's pronouns are because it's just simple. Um, you know, Amanda is saying the same thing that it's a great to, you know, kind of not even just ask for that information in your applicant tracking system or in your interview or application process, 
you know, give it, give space to say what their, you know, what their preferred pronoun is, what their preferred title, you know, Miss, Mr., Ms., whatever is. Um, it's kind of the same as asking what they prefer to be called. You know, it's, it's just that simple. Um, okay. So in the like, we only have about 15 minutes left. So I want to try and make sure we get to some of the high points um, or, or, you know, different questions that people have asked. Um, so let's talk a little bit about key phrases. So this person wanted to know, how can we recognize some triggers or key phrases in the corporate world that might be associated with racism, exclusion, othering, that kinds of thing? Um, this person says, I work, I work to continuously educate myself, but I'm finding so many phrases that I thought were innocuous, but definitely aren't to specific groups. So are there any, you know, um, are there any sources or research options that you recommend for something like this? Yeah. Um... You know, I think that's a great question in engineering, and I see this come up in our DEI chat a lot. In in like computer programming, there are a lot of those examples. Um, I have to say, I have not like other than just googling phrases that I might know of that might be offensive. Um, I have not done a ton of research. I think the best thing you can do is when someone says something like that, like it's okay, like apologize, acknowledge it, move on, and try not to use that phrase again. Um, to me, like, you know, I think DEI is incredibly important, inclusivity, making sure that everyone around you is comfortable, not using offensive phrasing, like, these are important things, but I also just can't spend my whole day worrying that I might offend someone. So if I don't realize something is an offensive phrase, and I use it, and someone calls me out, like, I just listen and apologize. And I think that's, um, perhaps a, a good way, um, or maybe it's not the best way, but that's the way that I, that I have taken to handling that. Cause I, I just like, you know, I, I spend a lot of time working and with my daughter and watching TV as I've already admitted to. Um, I just like, don't have the energy to like read about phrasing that I, you know, might be using. Um, but, you know, active listening is, I think is really the best way to combat that. Yes, you're right. That active listening, I think, is very important. And you're right. There's going to be phrases that you don't understand. I mean, I, I grew up hearing my parents say things like, oh, someone was so well-spoken. And it wasn't until I was like much older that I realized, A, they were mostly saying that about Black or Brown people, and B, it's not, it's not okay. It's, it's offensive to a great many people. And even if you don't intend it that way, it's not good. Um, so, you know, learning these things is how we grow. And then once you know better, you can do better. And not only you can, you should do better once you know. Um, so yeah, I, and I absolutely love this question because it does show that, like you said, that, that proactivity, that active listening and, and commitment to continuously educating yourself. Um, okay, so this person wanted to know about how you can show authenticity to those who know that you are only starting off on this allied journey. Um, I think we hear a lot about how ally is a verb. And so, you know, actions do speak louder than words. It's something you need to continuously show. But is there any way or, uh, you know, any key ways that people can really try to hammer home, like, and, and present this as a sin sincere and authentic, um, you know, thing that they are trying to pursue? Yeah, I mean, I think this is another one where there's just like not a magic silver bullet, you know? you can talk the talk, you should walk the walk too. If you hear someone say something they shouldn't be saying, maybe you don't realize it. I, I think it's, um, 
it's important if you're in a position of power or in a position of comfort to speak up and and like you know support the people around you. Um, I think listening, learning, and growing is a really good way to to, to also continue on your journey as an ally. Um, but I think other than like just kind of making sure to internalize what you're learning, like this is a journey for everyone. We all learn new things every day. So I don't know that you need to sort of like identify yourself. Um, I mean, other than doing those performative things, like I don't think that you need to like identify yourself to everyone around you as like a, a brand new ally. Um, but if someone says something to you that you don't understand or, or that you feel like is a learning opportunity, like, you know, I, I think that's sort of the opportunity to say, like, I don't know that much about this. I'd love to learn more. Um, but it is like, it is, I think, uh, sort of in the pudding, like you demonstrate that by acting. Yeah, totally true. Okay. Um, so one other question I wanted to make sure we get to, and this, I thought was a really great question. This person wanted to know what resources can individuals use to really improve allyship outside of just this webinar? Now, for, as far as Power to Fly goes, we have a lot of, of um, links and, and past chats and recordings about allyship. I'm gonna grab a link to those in just a moment and I'll share it into the Zoom chat. Um, but what, you know, are, what, what, um, what resources or what outlets do you, you, know, do you uh, recommend directing people to? Yeah, I mean, I think Power to Fly has a lot of great resources. Um, I like wasn't super familiar uh, with the organization until relatively recently, although our HR team has partnered with them. And I've been like really um, impressed with what I've seen. Like these chat and learns I think are great. And this is not the only resource that Power to Fly offers. Um, I'm also involved in some volunteer efforts within JW Player, and it's actually like surprisingly easy to find those. Um, you can be an ally in many ways. We partner with an organization called Pursuit that is a coding bootcamp for people who are underrepresented in tech. I am not, um, I, like, I work in sales. I'm certainly like, I'm not an engineer, um, but it has been a really great way just in organizing these events. Um, to help the tech community, especially to help people who are underrepresented in the tech community. Um, and we also brought that to our HR team and, and are partnering in, in multiple ways. Um, I think, you know, the best way to like be a positive ally is again, to just like listen and learn and be open to the people around you. If you have any power or influence over hiring or in your organization's culture, it's important to sort of like foster that environment. Um, but I, 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 again, like, I don't think there's like a specific answer to resources that you can seek out. There are like a million resources that you can seek out. Just, you know, be thoughtful in your actions and to the people around you and question your own biases and, you know, always, learn and grow and treat those around you with kindness and respect. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'm actually getting some really great um, conversation here in the chat and, and direct messaging from people about um, how pronouns, you shouldn't say what are your preferred pronouns um, because people's pronouns can be very personal to them and it's not who they, you know, how they prefer to be seen, but it's who they are. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, this is something that, you know, even somebody that marinates in this, you know, very often and, you know, for long hours throughout the week, I'm going to get things wrong. Um, and so I very much appreciate people raising that and saying like, hey, just so you know, like, that's not the language you should use. 
Um, so yeah, you're right. That, that continuous growth and really actively listening to what people are telling you um, is very, very important. Um, okay, so last question before we jump into um, some, some talk with you about JW Player. Do you have any tips for dealing with colleagues who straight up are not interested in being good allies? Yes, I do. Um, I am lucky enough to have been with JW Player for six years and to be in a position of power. I manage a team. Um, and I am, with that, able to call people out on bad behavior. It is hard to always have that kind of power and influence within an organization. I think if I was newer in my career, if I was, you know, maybe not a manager, if I, like, you know, was having a bad quarter or whatever, like, I have not always felt comfortable speaking up. And I think that, that people who have that kind of power and influence do have a responsibility to call people out, to foster a work environment that is comfortable for everybody um, and to like really be explicit about um, the type of behavior that you do not tolerate. Um, you know, beyond that, like, I think it's really hard if you don't have that level of influence or that level of comfortability within a company. And there are small ways that you can do it, right? Like, maybe it's not like aggressively calling someone out in public, but again, like having those feelings conversations when people say things that you don't think are appropriate. Um, I, I think also like having people that you trust that you can approach, like I, you know, I'm not one, of, I'm, I'm not the only sales manager. And I, I think, you know, a lot of the sales team is white cis men. Um, and for that reason, I mentioned earlier, like I asked some of the sales managers to add their pronouns in Slack so that people who maybe wanted to do it and didn't feel comfortable because there wasn't enough representation did it. So like using the people around you to also foster good behaviors. Um, beyond that, I, I know I've said this a few times, like, I think if, if you're in an organization that like it's not supportive of that behavior and you don't feel that it's a place that can change. And that's like a really important distinction because not everyone and not every organization is perfect. So is this a place that you think you can make a difference that you think like calling out those behaviors and helping change the culture is worth your while or is even possible? If the answer is no, like I might look for another job. And I know that not everyone has that, um, that luxury. Like maybe you're you know, for whatever reason in a place where you need to keep that job um, and maybe you get that sort of positive culture elsewhere. And it's, I think, unfortunate that some people are stuck in those positions. Um, but at the end of the day, like I probably would, um, you know, aim to foster a good culture or like ultimately would find a place where I could find that. Yes. And thank you for calling that out. You know, there are there's plenty of things that we recommend, but not everyone is as resources as you know everyone else. So it is really important to realize that if you are in a position of privilege or safety or comfortability, um, that you use that. Use that platform to help benefit other people around you and even benefit people that aren't there. You know, try and, and make the place that you want to, to work at. Um, if that's possible, great. And if it's, you know, if, if the journey keeps work, keeps working and people, you know, kind of keep moving along with you, um, that's great. But if it's not, then you're right. You kind of get a better idea of, you know, maybe what you don't want to see in an organization. Maybe you, even if you can't leave right now, maybe at least you've, you've kind of learned a little bit more about what you need to look for, um, for your, you know, for your next role. Um, okay. So in the time we have left, I want to talk a little bit about, 
um, you know, the questions that we put in front of you. So what you're seeing right now is questions that we asked of Alyssa beforehand um, about her experience with JW Player. Um, so the one thing I want to highlight, because a lot of I, these questions are great, but I want to make sure we end on time for people um, who maybe have a hard stop. Um, what are your top tips for someone who is interviewing? And are, you know, even they might be specific to JW Player or they might just be general. Yeah, I think um, ask questions, be enthusiastic. What I hate to see when someone interviews is someone who just like hasn't done research about the company and like who doesn't seem to care. Um, I'm not going to hire someone that doesn't seem to want to be in the room with me. Um, you know, put your best foot forward, do research and ask as many questions as possible because an interview goes both ways. They're interviewing you and you're interviewing them too. Yes, absolutely. Um, one of my biggest tips, especially when it comes to asking questions, is have at least one fun question in your arsenal, um, one like tough business related question, and then one that might be kind of like an easy question that maybe you already know the answer to, but could maybe be a jumping off point or at least to show them that you're interested and you have further, you know, further questions about the organization. Um, the last thing I'm going to jump to here is a page about where we talk about some of the open jobs at JW Player. Would you like to speak to any of these or any of them? You said you're on the sales team. Are any of them within your teams or somebody that you would work with? No, my team is fully built out. Um, although everyone, uh, with the exception, I work with the engineers a little bit less, but my organization touches pretty much every team within the company. Um, all the sales positions um, I work with pretty directly. Um, we definitely need a digital marketing manager. Um, what I would say is if you have any questions about JW Player or about you know, just like being a woman out in a tech company, interviewing for jobs, whatever it is. Like, I feel really passionately about helping other people um, succeed in, you know, in the workplace. So please reach out to me. I'm on LinkedIn. No one else has my name. Uh, and I'm also at, uh, you can email me at Alyssa, E-L-I-S-S-A at jwplayer.com. I, I really like, I, I care a lot about helping um helping people and especially women succeed at work. So please, you know, don't hesitate to do that. I'm always happy to chat. Thank you so much for that. Um, and thank you so much for taking time out of your day to spend with us. Um, it's always, you know, it's always one of my, it's, this is one of my favorite part of my job that I get to talk to people who are really passionate about, um, you know, whatever the subject matter is. And so we really appreciate the time that you took uh, before today's session, as well as um, today to spend time with us and share um, with our community. So thank you so much for that, Alyssa. Yeah, thank you so much for the opportunity. Um, and huge thank you to our, our participants, all of our attendees today. Um, Y'all brought great questions prior to today's session and really awesome um, chat and comments during. So thank you so much for that. It always makes these events so much more personable and um, you know more interactive. So we really appreciate that. I hope that y'all have had a great time learning with Power to Fly today. Um, this will be it for today, but we have some great chats coming up tomorrow. Um, we've got our chat at 3.30 p.m. Eastern about pride all year round. It is a conversation with drag and trans icon Peppermint. I cannot wait. I'm so excited. Um, and then there's also going to be um, a chat in the evening um, at 8 p.m. Eastern, and it's about parental leave 101, how to ensure a smooth transition to and from going on parental leave. Um, so hopefully people will join us for that. I hope that you'll join us for our upcoming mini summit in July, the 12th through the 15th. Um, it's about tech for uh, tech for social change or social good. Um, we've also got a job fair happening at the end of that week. So hopefully um, y'all will take advantage of some of these great events coming up. Um, I hope you have a wonderful rest of your Wednesday and we'll see you back here soon.
Bye, everyone. Bye, peace around. <laughs>